At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, <laughs> I could really use Current. <laughs> I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Welcome to another BritFlix.com podcast. My name's Stuart Wright and today's guest is Pat Kelman. Welcome to Five Great British Horror Films, Pat Kelman. Thank you. Yeah, I'm very excited about this. Now I'm going to break the fourth wall. This is, this is, um, this is one of, this is two of, two of two podcasts that I'll have, been, I'll have recorded with Pat this morning. Um, we did start off to do this show. With uh, with a kind of brief introduction to his new company, Six or Six Distribution, a independent distributor based in the UK, and uh, it mushroomed into its own show. So I let that roll, and that's either already out or it's coming out soon. I've not decided on uh, on um, on on when on the on the scheduling yet. So uh, yes, there is a separate podcast with Pat talking about his company, Six or Six Distribution. <laughs> And the three films. So, just while while we're on this show, just list the three films that you, that are that are that are either available or going to be available. Yeah, we've got the French coming of age ballet drama called Polina, starring Juliette Binoche. Mm-hmm. We've got in, on first first of March, we're releasing Charlotte Rampling's Venice Best Actress Award winning performance in Hannah, mm-hmm. which is jaw dropping. And um, then on April twenty sixth, I'm particularly excited that we're releasing a German multi-award winning feature called Sticks. Fantastic. And for more, for more details on that, like I say, there's a whole separate show of Pat sort of describing the genesis of his company and, and the films that he's so far got on his roster. Now, Pat, you are my, yeah. my, my flatmate in Cannes, but you're also, uh, as well as being a distributor, you're also an actor and a filmmaker in your own right as well. Yeah, that's right, yeah. I saw you on the big screen before I met you in the flesh, didn't I? I think you may well have done, yeah. I saw, yeah, I I... saw Lighthouse at the first ever Fright Fest. Yes, indeed, and I was, in, I was at that screening, funnily enough. So we're in the same uh, room as well, that's ridiculous. Yeah, we were in the same room, um, yeah. The first ever, was it, yeah, 2000. Yeah, the first um, ever Fright Fest. Yeah, and... Um, yeah, uh, that was an, that was a great that was a that was uh, it's a, it's still one of those films that I I am very proud to have done. It was um, yeah um, a, a lovely kind of giallo stroke um, you know pick them off by one by one horror movie directed by the lovely Simon Hunter who has just had massive success with quite deservedly with Edie. Yeah, a recent, uh, a recent guest on the podcast talking about Edie. Yeah, and I, I, I love Simon very much. He's a, he's a great guy. And um, First filmmaker I ever interviewed, by the way. Really? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Wow. About Lighthouse, yeah. How weird's that? As a filmmaker, you also made a feature film amongst other shorts. So tell, tell, tell the listener about your, uh, your feature film. 
yeah, I made a feature film back in, well, we shot it in 2002 yeah. um, on a shoestring, and it was um, quite, a, it was an improvised movie. Basically, mm-hmm. I started off doing shorts, and I'd done like the 24-hour film challenge and stuff that Johnny, um, oh, what's his surname? It'll come back to me. But basically, there was that, yeah, there was the 24-hour film challenge that uh, was going around at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Johnny Oddball, Johnny Oddball. And, um, and basically, we'd got in the top 10 with the first short we made together, uh, my friends and I made together. And, um, you know, it's one of those deals where they give you a title, they give you a genre, and you've got 28, 24 hours to deliver the film. Yeah. And, um, and we did very well with that and had fun with that. And my mate and I then got some money together to make uh, another short. And I just looked at the amount of money we had and went, why don't we make a feature? And we took the principles of the 24-48 hour film challenge in that we, we went, well, if we can create a coherent narrative in 24 hours, why don't we try and apply that to an entire film? And so basically the entire film was improvised on the spot. Um, Jesus Christ. Yeah. So what was, and what was that film called? It was called Encounters. For an actor, what, what is the, yeah. what's the appeal of improvising over over scripted material just i'm sure i'm sure there are there are cons to this but let's, let's oh yeah there give, are give, massive, giving giving you giving well. you chose to do it what what are the pros from your point of view for an actor to, to be able to improvise um, yeah spontaneity mm-hmm. um having an, an absolute authentic reaction to the person that's opposite them hmm. um ownership of character I remember we played Encounters at the Greenwich Film Festival in 2005-ish. Yeah. And, and because of all, cause it was in London, all the cast were able to come along. And at the Q&A after, the, that very question came up. It was like, what, what was in it for you as actors? And um, my dear friend David Kershaw, who was one of the main characters in the film, just looked up and went, ownership. Mm. We actually didn't feel that it was Pat's film. It was our film. We were creating it together. Wow. So how, how can... Uh, is it still available to see, easy enough? It, it, it is, actually. It's on Amazon Prime in the UK. Fantastic. Well, look, we're going we're, we're gonna to do five great British horror films with you. Uh, you are a keen cineast and a big genre fan. Um, yep. And uh, just for people that have never heard this series before, the rules are simple. Um, it's five films... And we get five minutes against the clock when Edgar Broughton Band sings. That's the five minutes are up, and then we'll stop and move on to the next film. Okay. Fantastic. Um, and also, just just for this isn't this we, we've I've been doing this is I think this is about the twentieth edition. I've done a five British horror films now. Um, this isn't about trying to reach a consensus as to what are the greatest British horror films, of which I think. I think I've more than covered across the piece. This is more an attempt at getting people to celebrate what they love and what they find interesting as much as it is to go, this is the greatest thing ever made. Um, I think, I mean, there's room for both on this show. Um, but what I'm saying is this isn't, this isn't like a BFI list of um, the absolute best films because if it was, I'd just be doing repeat shows of Wicker Man, Don't Look Now, Blood and Satan's Claw, which fan in general, plus American Wealth in London, Dog Soldiers Descent, and or Hellraiser, you know. Exactly. Uh, All uh, of those, of course, which were yeah. very much on my, on my yeah, list. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, 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 and they've been, they've been it, it, you know, dotted between others. They've all been, you know, Repulsion, also first English language, Polanski film done by uh, Michael Klinger. You know, these, these, have all, these have all been regulars on it. But I also, I've been encouraging guests as I've gone forward with it, because... Much not not quite as uh, dramatic as your 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 attempt to make uh, encounters, but I did just do this as an experiment to see if people would be interested. And it appears people do like to uh, to do five great stories, and the the format has developed. Um, so yeah, so it's five minutes, five films. When Edgar Broadband sings, then we move on to the next one, which means that we ensure we get five minutes to talk about each one, each of your selections. So without further ado, Pat. The clock's ticking, and your first choice is Eve, which is a 
each episode of the uh, British Anthology series Journey to the Unknown from 1968. Do you want to tell us a bit about what it is that appeals to you about that, why you might chose it, how you saw it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Journey to the Unknown has perhaps one of the most iconic opening credit sequences. I mean, I, I still hear the music. Basically, the opening, it was a Hammer anthology series. I think it was maybe the American company. Mm-hmm. And I remember seeing it on TV when I was a kid. Yeah. Um, because as a kid, I loved my horror movies. I still do. And um, and I remember, because basically the opening credits of Virginity Unknown, and anyone who remembers it will remember this vividly, was an abandoned um, funfair. And you're on the roller coaster. You've got a POV shot of you on the, on the roller coaster going through this roller coaster with this really haunting music playing in the background. And yeah, it's totally in my, in my, in my psyche. And, um, you know, I grew up as a, as a fairly, uh, quiet kid when well, I was a very loud kid, but a very shy kid at the same time. Mm-hmm. And, um, I very much retreated from the world into books, movies, music, all the stuff. And um, and so that's why this particular episode of Journey to the Unknown really affected me. Um, basically, the, the storyline is about this loner who is bullied a bit. Mm-hmm. And he, he, he works in a shop. And he falls in love with a mannequin in the shop, which he calls Eve. Right. And 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 basically, in his world, Eve is alive, and Eve is his girlfriend and his partner. I, I haven't I haven't rewatched it for this episode, mm-hmm. um, so forgive me if I get the narrative details wrong. No, I like it, I like it. I like it when people tell me off memory. Because I think I think yeah. what sticks and what you remember, and maybe what you yeah. what you've embellished, is as yeah. much, is as much a truth as if you'd studied it yesterday. Yeah, and and it it basically you know so you've got all these scenes where you know you've got him with Eve as they as they do because he basically steals the steals the mannequin mm-hmm. and and they go on the run together, and so you've got. And I think it was, I think it was Dennis Waterman played the lad after Dennis, a young Dennis Waterman. Um, and basically, um, you know, they have a romance, they fall in love and it's his girlfriend and, and, um, and it's desperately touching and desperately sad. And, uh, and I don't know about spoilers or whatever in case anybody wants to look you at can, it. it hasn't I re- think we can spoil when we're celebrating. I think it's... Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah, because basically the thing that I remember most vividly is at the final scene, and this, again, may be totally wrong. This is my memory of it. Yeah. The, fi- the final sequence is he gets... He encounters a bunch of bikers. Mm-hmm. And they take the piss out of him. Because to them, they see it's a dummy, right? Yes, of course. And um, and I remember at the end, basically, he gets beaten up, the dummy gets damaged, and the final shot, as I remember it, is him lying with this with this, with this dummy. And it's I think it's one of the early it's one of the few times we see it as a dummy in his world as well. But then, of course, the final shot is you've got the dummy close up of its face. And there's a tear running down its face. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and I was just like, oh. So the rest of that series was like lots of uncanny and, sto- and horror-y type stories. But this was one that was, yeah, kind of horror, fantasy. But the thing that I love very often about horror movies is the way they capture really raw, intense emotions. And... And and there's something really beautiful about that, mm. and really, yeah, just just in, incredibly touching, very sad, and uh, you know, kind of keys into a into a you know a lonely eight year old's soul. Do you know what I mean? That kind of stuff. 
Well, I think I think Edgar Broughton's telling us something. Absolutely. Well, thanks <laughs> thanks for that one. That's that's a new one on me. So this is this is also a, a selfish purpose of this show. Um, I'm sure it'll be on YouTube somewhere, but the whole series is worth checking out. No, it's, no, it's I think that's, that's what it's not one I'm aware of. So I'm uh, I'm completely. Uh, I'm completely and utterly uh, sold on this. But one I am aware of is your next choice, because I have the DVD of this one, and I've watched yep. it a number of times, is uh, Vault of Horror from 1973. Wow, Vault of Horror. So, yes. how, so when did you... How This is an anthology. So when, yep. when and how did you first see this then? I, I, ch- I've, I looked for it. I looked for it, this particular film, because... Um, Pretty much all the films that we're going to talk about, I saw either on release or as soon as I was old enough to see them. Right. Um, you know, so we're really doing a, uh, I'm doing a major retrospective of my childhood in this mm. selection. Right. But basically, I first encountered the idea of Vault of Horror through a magazine. And I'm a massive, uh, well, I was as a kid, a massive magazine fan. And I had all the Marvel comics, etc. I also had, there was a little, I was raised in a little, a little uh, beach resort in Cornwall called Portreath. Mm-hmm. And um, there was a little village store that only opened in the summer. And in the summer, it had reprints of all the American horror comics. And and so I used to get the, the American horror comics. And of course, it was like probably a decade after they came out in America, if not all, because they were kind of reprints. Yeah. But... Um, but they also had a life-changing magazine for a kid in the 70s called Monster Mag. And it has been reprinted since. Has it really? Uh, I believe so, yeah. I I was looking. Apparently, you can go on eBay and get reprints of these now. Yeah. Um, But it was an iconic magazine, which basically was a poster folded up to magazine size and then on all the faces of the, the non-poster faces was a magazine. And it was all about horror. And um, basically there was one... I mean, so that's how I heard about Vault of Horror. That's how I heard about a lot of the Hammer movies. I mean, when we talk about... We're talking about Frank, Frankenstein and Monster from Hell. No, we're coming on to that later, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Blah, blah, blah. Basically, the... The magazine would have a massive poster, one of which refers to a film that we're going to talk about in a bit. Um, and there was a, a, a panel in there, a vault of horror. And there was one particular shot that I, I, I still have in my head. And it's a guy hanging upside down in a restaurant with a, with a tap in his throat and vampires pouring out blood into pint glasses <laughs> from his, you know, oh, be negative on tap or something like that. Yeah. And, and that's how I first encountered Vault of Horror. I went, I've got to see this film. I must see this film. And uh, it's the first story of the five anthologies, uh, five stories in the anthology. And uh, <laughs> it's brilliant. Daniel Massey plays this guy who comes to visit his sister Who's got? Um, who's got a, a? They've just had. She's just basically got an inheritance, and he wants it. And when he reaches the village, he goes to the local restaurant and has a lovely, lovely lunch. And it. And then he goes and sees his sister, and he kills her. <laughs> and then he goes. And as he comes back through the village, it's got dark, and he goes back into the same restaurant. And he's like, I have some dinner having killed my sister. <laughs> and, and he says, I'll, I'll just have whatever comes on the, on, the, on, the, on the a la carte. Thank you very much. Or on the, on the menu, on the, on, the, on the fixed menu. I'll have the fixed menu. And so the guy comes up and he goes, here you go, sir. Your starter, fresh blood clots. Enjoy them. They're raw. Go, they're very rare. And he goes off and he's like, Blood clots? What the what the hell's this? Then, then they bring out like a cutlet of something else for the main course. And it's all like raw blood and flesh. And, 
And he starts complaining to the waiter. And that's when the, that's when the waiter realises that they've got a human and they're all vampires. And they pull back this massive curtain and there's a big mirror there and he's the only, only thing in the reflection. So, of course, he then becomes, he then becomes there. <laughs> Sorry, I just love it. He no, no, no. It, is it, it's... He then becomes their their freshest freshest wine choice for the night. <laughs> Superb, and I love that song. And you see, I, and I love all that stuff. That's why I love Vault of Horror. Thank you, brought man. The five minutes are up on Vault of Horror, sir. I just, just well, it was one one part of Vault of Horror, really. Well, no, no, no. We're all that good. We are. We. Because I was going to say, just to, to what, what, what to add to that is that I think one of the things that I I, I that I guess. If you're if you're posting if you've grown up with just the internet, you cannot really appreciate the value and the spark to your imagination of a lurid still from a film you've you've never heard of, and the want stroke need to see it, which you know the likes. Oh of, yeah, you know that was that was that was kind of it really, wasn't it? That that you would you would you, 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 the monster mag and, and and the like would show a picture of something that was just like. Where can I get this? Yeah, exactly, exactly so. Whereas yeah. now, if yeah. you said, if I said to you, "Have you seen Vault of Horror?" I go, "No, no," and you just go, "Oh, just go on YouTube and look at the trailer," and you could you could fill in the blanks in about two seconds, which is kind of which is great for convenience. But I kind of I kind of wish I could sort of put on hold that sometimes and go, "Right, okay, can I play with my imagination for a bit?" But uh, let's uh, let's move yeah. on to your third choice, which is. Frankenstein and the monster from hell. Yeah. And that is... 74. What? 74, yeah, 1974. I've not read it down, my apologies. Um, so, do you want to tell us a bit about that, when you, when and how you saw that? Yeah, this is another Monster Mag um, introduction. Though, of course, I've been watching the Frankenstein movies... From an age when I probably shouldn't have done, truthfully, you know, yeah. because, you know, I, I, I've loved all that stuff since I was very young. And um, my mum, bless her, didn't let me, uh, didn't, didn't restrict what I watched. <laughs> so I could basically sit up with my black and white TV watching these, these, these old movies and so on. And so I saw the, I saw the Universal Horrors. And then I saw the Hammer ones when they were being shown on TV. And obviously we've got a colour TV by then and they just blew me away. So I've been watching the Dracula movies. I've been watching the Frankenstein movies. But I came across Frankenstein and Monster from Hell in Monster Mag. Because one of the big posters in Monster Mag was a shot of Peter Cushing. His hand had been severed off and it was being sewn back on by his assistant. Wow which is a key part of this film. And this poster, we're talking, you know, quad size. We're talking 30 by 40. We're talking proper cinema poster size of just this image of Peter Cushing looking up at this bloke who's sewing his hand back on. Unbelievable. <laughs> and I was like, I, and, and that, of course, was more extreme than you'd see in the early Frankenstein movies, you know, like the, even the Hammer ones, which at the time were considered hugely lurid and violent, there was nothing quite like that in them. And so, um, yeah, and that's so I was looking at, I was looking for that, and uh, and I, it came on TV because I wasn't old enough at the time to get in to see these in the cinema because they were X-rated. So I would basically wait for them to come on TV. And it must have been about three or four years, maybe, but it came on TV. And, uh, you know, the film itself, I actually watched it again a couple of months ago when we were kind of, I was kind of prepping for this. Mm. Most of the films, I, most of the films I haven't rewatched, but I thought with this one, you know, what, I, I, and, and I, I watched it and it's a typical Hammer 70s horror movie, you know, mm. um, but it's great fun. And, and that shot is that shot doesn't quite appear in the film the way I remember it, of course. Mm -hmm. But it's it's yeah, it was just one of those films that just again my imagination had been sparked by this incredible poster that I had up on my bedroom wall when I was you know nine and ten and eleven kind of thing. Um, 
and you know because my walls were covered with these things but it was it was monster mag that did it and 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 i really can't emphasize enough how brilliant this magazine was because <laughs> oh, um uh, you know I, I i encountered you know i think i first encountered night of the living dead through it and this sort of stuff you know yeah, so yeah, it wasn't yeah. just wasn't just british movies but you know um but yes, I mean it's a typical Frankenstein movie. Now, it's, it's, one thing we talked about before we started this was about the notion of the X certificate over, you know, compared to like today's eighteen classification. Um, yeah, and how you know an X was a real sort of sign of something, you know, forbidden or whatever. Yeah, um, yeah. And you 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 told me an apocryphal story about. Oh about, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, because I remember. Um, because again, and this kind of ties in with um, previous choice, which was Vault of Horror as well. Yeah. Um, because there was an element of humour in these stories, they are mm. funny. Mm. You know, the, um, the BB, well, the, the, the censor at the time probably had a bit of challenge with them because sometimes they'd watch something and go, hang on, that's actually not that scary. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Why you want to give it a lower rating? And there was one particular. Um, particular amicus compilation called the, the the house that dripped blood mm-hmm. and um and i knew it because it had john pertwee in one of the episodes as, a, as a, a guy who acts as a vampire who then becomes a vampire every time he puts a coat puts the cloak on um which was really but it, you know it was john pertwee it was played for laughs really um and there was one really scary vignette about a a, 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 a a young girl who was like like the bad seed type thing mm. um played by a young chloe franks absolutely beautiful story but i remember seeing the trailer for it in the cinema and going i really want to see this film but it was an x mm. and i then found out years later that actually that x was requested by the distributor this bb the bbfc wanted to give it an A certificate, which means anybody can go with an adult. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. But a distributor went, hang on, this is a horror movie. Selling it as an X is part of the marketing. And that's what gets the audiences in. Because if, if, if you say it's a horror movie... Go on, finish your thought. Yeah, if you say it's a horror movie, but it's only an A, people will go, well, it can't be that scary. Mm. Um, and so the, the distributor actually acts asked for an x for it and got it just to be able to sell it you know because when you watch it there's nothing in it at all that is you know x certificate even for that time it's it's fairly mild in a a funny way that's there's a mirror to that isn't there now you've got the you've got films that are coming out of 15 or trying to get themselves under the 15 barrier because that's a bigger audience and you've got even worse crimes where you've got like taken two is a 12 yeah, and then it just destroys everything that made taking the eighteen fantastic. Um, exactly, and um, yeah, it's it's uh, yeah the 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 certificate does signal a lot, even though it shouldn't it shouldn't be a mark of quality, but at least it's yeah. a it's an indication of. Um, of that, <laughs> yeah, of, and also it's like I think you know the the X certificate you're right had a, had an allure to it you know because X certificate was horror. It was also kind of grown-up material, such as The Other Cinderella or Confessions of a Taxi Driver and that kind of stuff, all the kind of yeah. sleazy stuff. But also, of course, like grown-up films like, I mean, you know, the film that changed my life really was Taxi Driver. Mm. Seeing, seeing that at the age of 13, not knowing what the hell was going on, but just because I had a crush on Jodie Foster at the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that was an X as well, of course, you know. Um, but yeah, the X was a part. What I really wish, I kind of wish I was, I was like 20 years older because the rating before the X was H for horror. There was an H rating back when, like in the 30s and 40s, I oh, believe. Oh, really? Oh, I don't know. I believe so. Yeah. And so if it, if it gives an H rating, I mean, that would be amazing. But, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, the, X, the X rating was great. And the, 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 the getting into your first X movie was a big deal, you know, back then, you know. No, um, totally. Well, look, sir, let's, let's move on to your fourth choice. Yeah. And, uh, 
and I'll be I'll I'll give it I'll give it a cruel introduction before we get into why it's brilliant. Let's uh, let's jump to 1976 Exorcist cash in the Omen. <laughs> I mean that with all the love I have for the Omen. I just make, it yeah. always makes me laugh whenever it's on like serious filmolo- filmography programs where they say, you know, Exorcist are successful, so everyone's running around to try and make a make their own Exorcist, and then they go, and then then they did the Omen. You're like, fucking hell, it's, it stands alone on its own for Christ's sake, surely. It certainly does, mate. I, I don't even think I don't see it as an Exorcist ripoff at all. I really don't. <laughs> <laughs> now, if you if you if you'd mentioned I don't want to be born or. Um, some of the other Joan, there's a Joan Collins one that was a real Exorcist ripoff. Then that would be one thing, but yeah, The Omen, no. Right. Is that more, more of a Rosemary's Baby one, that, it? It was, yeah, you're right. There was one, though, that I can't remember what it was called now, but it was one that was a, a Devil Within Her. That's oh, it, what? The Devil Within Her. That was a, a real Exorcist ripoff. But anyway. So, um, where, where, so did, you, did you see The Omen at the cinema? I did. I did. So I saw t- the Omen at the cinema. Tell us 1976 X-rated horror cinema experience. What's that like? And where? What wow. cinema did you see, where did you see it? What cinema? I saw it at the uh, at a small cinema in Mutley Plain, Plymouth. Mm-hmm. Be- and because I remember, I mean, the thing the thing that everyone remembers about the Omen, who was around when it came out, was the marketing campaign. The posters were brilliant. I mean, the posters were literally black posters with white text on them. And it would say something like, if you have a bad day, it's not a coincidence, it's the omen or something like that. You know, it was, it was those sorts of very kind of, it was just basically kind of saying whatever's bad in your life today, it's down to the omen. It's an omen. And so I, and, um, and basically this little cinema in Mutley Plain was a second run cinema. So I didn't see it on first release. I saw it about, probably about six months after it came out, when it was doing double bills around the country. Okay. And, um, so what was he double billed with, out of interest? Um, I saw The Omen. It was with a Burt Reynolds film <laughs> called... Um, oh, God, what was it? It was Hustle. It was Hustle. Gee, Burt Reynolds' Hustle. Oh, honestly, these double bills back in the day, they were just films that the distributors had on available at the time and just stuck them together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, like I saw Carrie with so many different Burt Reynolds films, you wouldn't believe it. I saw it with Gator. I saw it with um, White Lightning. I saw it with Smokey and the Bandit. Honestly, bonkers, bonkers. Um, but the ex, uh, but the ex, the Omen was the second X film I ever saw that was a horror movie. Okay. Um, I, it was the third X film ever that I saw. My first X film was One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Yeah. And then my second X film was Carrie the week before I saw The Omen in the same cinema. And um, I know I've only got five minutes, but when I saw Carrie, mm-hmm. I came out so scared. And the, and the woman, the woman, the, the receptionist, the, the ticket seller, when, when I came in was like, are you 18? I was like, yes. Because I was 13 at the time or 12. And she was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me in. But I actually just laughed at me when I came out because I was so freaked out by Carrie at the end. And so the following week, I came back with a mate and she went, oh, hello, sir. How nice to see you again. How old's the young, fr- how old's the young man with you? Because I brought one of my school friends with me. I was like, he's 18. <laughs> they let them see, see the omen, right. Now, the thing is, I'd already read The Omen because I, I, I was one of those kids that as soon as the tie-in book came out, I read it. And I actually read the tie-in book before, before I saw the film. However, that didn't take away the impact of, of what I still think is one of the best kind of British horror movies of all time. I genuinely think The Omen is mm. a seminal movie on so many ways. I really do believe that Without the omen, there wouldn't be a final destination. There wouldn't be, you know, all, any of those where these unnatural events happen for a reason, you know. Um, and 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 the omen. I mean, you know, the thing I always remember is that scene with the nanny killing herself very early on in the film. Yeah. And she's standing on the top of the building. This children's party. She's standing on the top of the roof, going, "Damien, Damien, I'm doing all this for you." 
And oh my god, there were so many brilliant. I mean, you moments. know you're in you know you're in a horror film with a sequence like that. That's not that's not pandering to the easiest no. route, is it? No, all these kids kind of screaming and stuff as this woman's body is dangling and smashing against the windows and stuff. Cause it's yeah, just such a brilliant film. There are so many things about that film that are just brilliant. Not just the kills; the kills are amazing. Uh, you know, um, Patrick Troughton being impaled by the by the lightning conductor. Oh, oh fuck! Go on, just finish your thought. It's so short. I know. Well, that's the thing. Yeah, just I mean, to... Go on, what's, what's the, what's, what is it about the Patrick Chapman death that, that, that sort of sticks in the memory? Well, it, I mean, the, the, the music building up, the, the, uh, the, the, the amazing Jerry Goldsmith score, the, 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 and of course I love, I mean, for me, Patrick Troughton was, was Doctor Who, mm. you know? <laughs> I mean, it's interesting talking about the other film as well, where, where well, I mentioned John Pertwee, mm. you know, these, you know, Patrick Troughton was my first Doctor Who when I was a kid. Yeah. John Pertwee was my favourite. Controversial. Mm. Uh, but then Tom Baker obviously was later. I was older, but I loved him too. But, but you know, Patrick, Patrick Troughton was my... So he was this... He played this Irish priest who is running to... Who was at the birth of the jackal, of Damien. And, and he's uh, running to try and get sanctuary. And then the lightning hits this lightning rod and it fires down and goes, like, goes straight through one shoulder and out into the ground through him i mean that still is iconic isn't it i'm sure everyone's seen that still of him being impaled well is it, i'm trying to remember now is it isn't the, isn't the setup the the faint line in a photograph that we don't understand oh the yeah line. That's in, yeah yeah you see that earlier on yeah yeah so there's uh, the photographer played by david uh, david warner warner yeah he's um, the photograph doesn't he and we, and we don't understand we it's not there, is it? And it's sort of, and then we get them. Yeah, the and, and every single every single photo that he takes of someone who's going to die has a fault line in it that indicates how they're going to die. And of course, towards the end, he then sees a picture of himself that he's taken in the mirror with this fault line going straight through his neck in perhaps the most iconic scene in that whole film when you know his head gets cut off by a flying sheet of glass. Indeed, indeed, <laughs> in yes. slow motion from multiple angles. Yes, no, totally. it's, a, it's a moment <laughs> after. Yeah. Now, uh, for your for your final choice, we're coming full circle, and it kind of makes me sad for um, for 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 the way that um, the British TV doesn't uh, have such a focus on horror. You're, you've chosen another another TV horror series this time, nineteen eighties, um, the Hammer Hammer House of Horror, and the yeah. um, the episode you've chosen is the house that bled to death. Um, before yeah. you get, I'm not starting the clock yet, but it's before. It's, I just think it's it's interesting that you've you've you've, you've just through the, the the notion of doing it chronologically, you've bookended your five with two sort of TV horror series, and I suppose you could argue that what Charlie Brooker's doing with uh, Black Mirror is is in the tradition of all of these, isn't it? I suppose, but. It's a long time since we've had anything like it. Obviously, we're growing up, tells unexpected, Outer Limits, Twilight Zone. These were just these were common, weren't they? This kind of yeah, yeah, they were. And 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 of course, you know, both Journey to the Unknown and Hammer House of Horror were were made by Hammer. So that was you know when Hammer uh, uh, was still a thriving, you know, thriving production house, really, mm. and. Um, yeah, and and again, it's about that must, must, must be the must be the end, mustn't it? Your the, the choice you're making. Uh, I think I think it must. Be. The house, the house. I think it must be. I mean, I'm I'm not, you know, I'm, you know, yeah. I think, and, and actually, the other thing I say is that these are on Shudder right now. The oh, entire fantastic. Hammer House of Horror series is on Shudder. So what so is it? So go, what is it about the house that bled to death that sticks in the memory for you? Well, there's one scene, mate. There's one scene, on. and I remember talk. I remember talking to you about it in the uh, in in, the, in uh, back in uh, in Cannes in in the hotel room once, and and it's interesting. I'm now seeing a link between like the Omen, that scene with the with the nanny, kids were there, and 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 this scene. It's basically there's this family in this house, and the house doesn't want them there, mm-hmm. and. They've got a little child, and the child runs a birth has a birthday party, and there are, in my mind, there's like fifty kids there. Of course, it's probably about six, <laughs> but they're all aged. They're all aged about five or six years old. I mean, they're little kids. They're not. Maybe they might be seven or eight, but you know, they're they're they're, they're juniors 
not secondary school kids. Do you know what I mean? They're little yeah. kids. And they're having a birthday party, passing the parcel, cutting the cake, you know, having a lovely time. And there's a there's a there's a water pipe um, going across the ceiling above them, and it starts wobbling, and it starts you know wobbling on its own, and and you kind of know what's coming. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. These kids now... having this lovely lovely with their ribbons in their hair and their pink pastel dresses and their 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 violet Elizabeth bot curls and stuff. And this pipe breaks and it pours blood. <laughs> it, it literally pumps blood uh, like a massive, it's like a fire hose of blood. <laughs> and just like covers all of them. All of these little kids being drenched in blood by this fucking house. Oh my god, it's a sequence. I mean, how the hell they got away with it? I don't know. I really. Don't well, what's what's know. interesting is that traditionally, you know, your Hammer House of Horror, sort of your gothic and your and your and your fantastical, but this is this is set in the heart of like British suburbia, isn't it? This is this it is really a, is. This is, a semi, yeah. this is any other semi-detached house. It really is, yeah. So I don't really remember much about the storyline or whatever, but it's that one sequence that you just go, oh, my God. And it's infinitely YouTubeable. I remember when when I first mentioned it to you in Cannes, and you were like, that can't be right. And I found it on YouTube and showed it to you, and we both just went, it's even worse than I remember it. No, no, no. when 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 you Google it, there are just lots of stills of the adults and the kids looking around and obviously, it's that moment just before. It's like, yeah, yes, it's, yeah, uh, yeah. Such a simple I mean, idea, though, isn't it? The the um, you know what 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 it's what it's about. Oh yeah, and you know, and it's and it's like your typical kind of it's Amityville, isn't it? You know, it's all that kind of stuff. Hmm. But but it, it yeah, there was just something about seeing it on primetime TV, hmm. mainstream ITV show. Showing this, and and you know, and and by 1980, I mean, I, 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 in my mind, it was earlier than that. You know, I was younger than that, but I must have been, you know, 15, 16, or something when that came out. Number no, 17, probably. But it just it hit me like I was a little kid, because I was, I think, because because it was about little kids. There was something about it. I must have been identifying with them or something, and so that just made it even more shocking. Utterly brilliant episode, Up, and, uh, you know. And interestingly, Tom Tom uh, Clegg, who directed it, yeah, directed McVicker. Did he? Yes. Oh wow! Which which obviously we never that, we never we never looked for that when we when you were first describing it to me. But that's that's in the same year. <laughs> Go figure that one, Pat. Fantastic, because I remember seeing that in the cinema. Because of course I was regularly going to eighteen films at that point. Mm. So I remember seeing that, you know, I remember seeing, isn't that brilliant? That, yeah. And and actually, I've, I've now just brought up the series. And, I, you know, in all these different episodes, you've got some amazing people. You know, you've got Chris Casanova, Peter Cushing, Denham Elliott, John Finch, Julia Foster, Lee Lawson, Peter McHenry, Anthony Valentine. Oh, my God, Anthony Valentine. What an amazing actor. Brian Cox, uh, you know, just amazing, amazing. Well, look, Pat, thank you very much for uh, taking us along your horror memory lane and introducing certainly me and hopefully a couple of others to uh, Journey to the Unknown, which isn't a TV series I was familiar with. Um, so I'll be checking that out for sure. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's a cracker. It really is. I mean, who knows? I mean, it, I mean, if I watched it now, it might look, you know, because it was made in '68 or whatever. But I, but I don't you know. know. I, I like what I like about the the sort of almost like stagey TV horror that, that that would have been made at the time is that there's a there's maybe maybe it's a combination of hurrying and naivety, but they yeah. managed to do what 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 I think is often the hardest thing to do in in horror films is that. Is that sort of pregnant pause? Is that is that no no more information? Just let the thing sit and let you worry about what's going on. 
So it's almost yeah. like you've reached a point where you've got a, you've accumulated knowledge of what's on screen, and then the action sort of doesn't rush to the next bit. So yeah. It might just be a stilted conversation whereby they're not quite communicating or something like that. But it's sort of I don't know what it is about TV horror from that from the sort of sixties through and through the seventies is that and even stuff they didn't even intend to be horror. But um, I'm trying to think there was one of the, there was another there was a seventies TV series where it's a where um, where it's a Christmas dinner um, crimes. I should remember what it is now. But it is it sort of they they managed to because it's because it's real. We stay, we stay, and it's and it's coming up against the supernatural. The realism of it keeps everything grounded, even yeah, though, even yeah. though, like like the house that bled death, even though a house is bleeding, you know, outside the front door is twenty four Acacia Avenue. It's not because because yeah. when, when you're when you're in a, a stately home and it all goes to shit. You're isolated. That's the whole thing of horror is great isolation, but these kind yeah. of TV things were not always about that. that the, the needing all that, all that horror real estate. They could just go, let's bring it to your front door. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And I'm sure for some of the audiences who maybe weren't as sort of schooled in the horror, it must have been. It must have been really scary just to see horror in somewhere that looked like their living room. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and the other thing that you were talking about like the slightly stagey feel of um, of horror on TV at the time. I think the thing that made Journey to the Unknown and Hammer House of Horror really stand out is that they were both shot on film. Because that was at the time when video wasn't... You know, pretty much everything was shot on film in terms of anything that was shot outside or whatever. And so with Hammer... You know, they were a film company, so all the, all of the, they're all, they're basically, you know, they're all like mini movies. Yeah, well, obviously bringing in a, a director who's making feature films to do a TV, out, an hour-long TV show, is is going to bring some something else, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And so that's what's really, you know, and because and it was Hammer, of course, the earlier ones were like shot by, I mean, I've just read a bit of YouTube trivia, because I've just found the Journey to Unknown credit music on, on, on there is that, um, you know, you've got Hammer directors directing these. Like, apparently Terence Fisher was going to direct one of the Hammer House of Horrors, but he died during pre-production. Blimey. You know, that kind of thing, you know? So you had proper proper cinema directors making these, these well, not, not, and I'm please, I'm not saying anything about TV filmmakers not being proper, you know what I mean. I'm, I've, no, no. There's there's there's, yeah. a, there's a there's there's a there's a film director where the writer doesn't get shit, and then there's a TV director where the writer gets all the credit. That was kind of the world as it was then, wasn't it? And it has been for yeah. And we're only just yeah. seeing a shift now, yeah. Where where there's I, artistry in directing TV, and yeah. you know, Aaron Zorkin as a writer of film isn't seen as being the shit on the shoe. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> And it's um, you know, and and I think at the time as well, you know, because of because of the nature of the medium, you know, production values were often cheaper for TV. You know, to be mm. filming in a studio, filming in a studio with you know a three camera setup or whatever, and and so you had directors bringing cinematic approaches to television. I think that's much more like it. You know, things like The Prisoner and stuff. You know, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, that, that was... And to be honest with you, doing all that for what you would have been watching it on at the time would have would have been seen as a lot of effort and nothing. But obviously, we're, oh, yeah. we're quite grateful yeah. now with our fifty-inch screens and whatever. But let's uh, let me just let me just get the let the audience know. Give a quick rundown as to your five choices. So we had the yep. episode, the journey to the unknown episode Eve from nineteen sixty-eight. We had yep. the uh, it's Amicus, isn't it? The Vault of Horror, nineteen seventy-three. Yep. We had Frankenstein and the Monster from Hell from 1974. We had The Omen from 1976. And we had the Hammer House of Horror episode, The House That Bled to Death from 1980, were your five choices. And they were. very quickly, remind people of 606 Distribution's three movies that they should either look out for now or keep an eye open for release dates. Excellent. Yep. So the Polina is out and about at the moment. Mm -hmm. Um and on March the 1st, we have Hannah with Charlotte Rampling, um, which is, as I said, extraordinary kind of horror. It's like an emotional horror movie. Mm -hmm. It's, it's you know. Um, and then 
my personal favourite, it must be said out of the three. Um, April 26th, though, it's also playing at the Glasgow Film Festival, the Borderlands Film, Film Festival, and it's playing at various other places in previews, hmm. is a German film called Sticks, which is extraordinary. Well, look, thank you very much for giving us your time on the Breakfast Podcast. Oh, it's been a, oh, an absolute pleasure. I, uh, yeah, I, I hope I haven't. I hope, I hope what I've said has made some sort of coherent sense. Because when I get excited about stuff, I just start rambling and ranting. So well, you know what they say, don't come you? Out not, all right. You know what they say. It's not what you say; it's how you say it. And I think if any, yeah. if people listening to this get anything, then they'll get your enthusiasm for the films that you you've liked and loved. Well, look, best of luck with six oh six, and hopefully we'll get you on Thank another you, time Steven. to talk about future releases. Oh, I'd love that, and uh, yeah, and I'm sure I'll see you before, but if not, then uh, actually in 606 at can, mate. <laughs> indeed, indeed. The irony, the irony. The Breakfast Podcast is provided absolutely free. If you want to help me get the podcast out to more people, please take a moment to leave a review on iTunes, or if you want to help me out directly, there's a link in the show notes to my Patreon page. All contributions are welcome. Music is by Chris Reed of thecomposers.tv. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Discover South Carolina.